I'm Claire McKenna and this is the Focus Ireland podcast. In this series, we'll take a deep dive into the most prevalent social crisis of the last 10 years, homelessness. We'll discuss every aspect of the crisis, talk with people who've experienced homelessness firsthand, meet people who work in the field, as well as experts in the area. You're very welcome to the Focus Ireland podcast. I'm Claire McKenna and today we are looking at what is homelessness and looking at what Focus Ireland are doing to end homelessness. And I'm joined by a panel of people who have worked with Focus Ireland for a long time. I'm joined by Adrian Quinn, Head of Long-Term Housing at Focus Ireland, as the charity provides permanent homes for over 1,100 households in Ireland for families and individuals who were previously homeless or at risk. Adrian is also a training coordinator at FIANSA, the European Coalition of Homelessness Organisations and European Housing First Hub. He's worked extensively in the area of homelessness, social inclusion, housing and development with Focus Ireland for over 15 years. Adrian, you're very welcome. Thanks for having us. Sitting beside him is Neve Lamb. She runs Focus Ireland's Family Homeless Action Team, which supports 350 families and over 700 children in Dublin. And Focus Ireland services around the country are also helping families who are homeless. Neve leads a team of specially trained staff who work tirelessly to help parents minimise the traumatic impact being homeless has on children. The team also work to help support parents themselves and work with families to secure a home. Neve says she believes passionately that it is vital that children who are homeless still have a chance to be just that, children, to have fun and make some happy memories and be protected as much as possible. Neve, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And I'm also joined by John O'Hare. He's worked for Focus Ireland for over 20 years and is the head of family services at the charity. He's worked in many different areas in Focus Ireland previously, running the charity's flagship service, the coffee shop and advice centre on Eustace Street in Dublin's Temple Bar area. John helped to lead Focus Ireland's response to the family homelessness as the crisis grew very sharply since 2014-2015. And he's been heavily involved in the development of new services, such as the Focus Ireland Family Centre in recent years. John, you've seen it all. I have indeed. Thank you. You're very welcome. I want to start with you, Adrian, because many people listening will think of Focus Ireland and think of a a charity. And there's still that idea, much as we've changed the conversation over the housing crisis, that they're helping people who are sleeping rough on the streets. But there is a very different picture, particularly when I, I talk of each of your biographies that involves the families and, and homelessness. Can you talk to us a little bit about the work that you do? Yes. So um, thanks again for having us. What we do, it, it's both. We, we have to provide long term housing and that stability for people alongside the support. So I suppose, as you say, there's there's that picture of of providing that person centred support on the street. But homelessness is so far ranging now it is it's moved into housing instability it's moved into um economic homelessness it's moved into the more i suppose uh, more uh, traditional ideas of homelessness being addiction and mental health so it affects so many people in so many different ways so what we provide is is both the support to deal with whatever issues might be affecting somebody, whether that's for in a family, whether an older person, whether it's health, um, whether it's mental health, um, but also then a home and need that home to be able to, as as Neve said in her opening, then um, to be for children to be children, for, for people to be themselves, to step beyond 
just that trauma of homelessness. Um, so that's why we've, over the years, um, increasingly moved towards trying to prevent homelessness and providing exits from homelessness through supports and through those specialised supports such as the Family Hat team. And much as it's multifactorial as to why somebody would end up homeless, you've touched on, on the trauma there. It's not like you just hand somebody keys and, and walk away. There's, there's a lot of support needed along that process and after they receive the home. Yeah, and trauma is, in my experience, trauma is 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 the one sort of shared d- defining characteristic of homelessness. For a lot of people, there there may be trauma before that led to becoming homeless, but becoming homeless, losing that sense of safety, that sense of security, losing that ability to choose and have choices for where you're going to sleep that night for your children, that's traumatic in and of itself. So you have becoming homeless and remaining homeless is is there's layers of trauma there and it can it, it shakes people's sense of security their sense of self to the core um for for a single adult on their own it's their own sense of security their own ability to keep themselves safe and decide who they want to be and where they want to be that person um for a family for for parents I'm parent myself to lose both the ability to keep myself safe but then fundamentally shatter my primary role which is to look after my children and suddenly I have to give that control over to someone else to decide where I can be where I can sleep where I can stay that's it's it's just horrendously traumatic and it needs people need understandably you need an an enormous amount of support to be able to come out of that space to even once you've provided housing and that set of keys to rebuild yourself back up to becoming homeless like any major trauma even uh, similar to any trauma experience in the home you have to survive then and all of your energy all of your focus has to go into surviving that space so to come back out you don't just switch it off with the set of keys you then have to start to rebuild you have to start letting go of that insecurity you have to start rebuilding that trust in in what you're able to do yourself you might need to make new connections around work you might have to do recovery around addiction it might be mental health um Again, there's there's the aspects of what you carry in when you become homeless and there's what happens to you both as a person but also as a family and as a household that happens while you're there. And that recovery, for some it could be quick, for some it could take years. Um, and that's why we increasingly went to being both a support provider uh, and a housing provider because it means we don't need to step away. We can be there for as long as little or as much as as somebody needs because for me again personally i'm i'm a few good people in my life away from a disaster and and if i don't have those people something else has to replace it um if something goes wrong and increasingly homelessness in ireland has been these niche areas of of inequality um or there's like urban deprivation or where it's addiction issues or, or mental health and institutions but it's now a macro issue so economic issues uh, job losses um, housing instability security of tenure uh, houses being sold constantly um, housing provision increasing exponentially but the availability and the affordability um, not changing in the last few years either that means you've got these all macro issues and that again we have this big, big apparatus still creating homelessness. And that you can even see that 
I, 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 would, I would see that as people that we're working with and that we see kind of coming into homelessness. They're, they haven't just become homeless. They've been worried about that for a period of time as well. That's just really, really just grated away and, uh, and chipped away at people's um, stress, mental health. So they're, they're not even at their, their most resilient when it happens. So it's, it's a very, very hard space to, to, to pull out of. Um, and it's, it's the same for, for, for all of us. Like there's only so much you can kind of take. And if you, we, I mean, it's out there. We know we, a long time ago, we financialized and we commodified housing. And that was it, but it's not, it's, it's our homes. It's where we live. It's where we get to decide who we are. It's where we get to have dreams for our children and for our kids and for ourselves. It's where we get to hang the photos on the wall of our memories. You take all of that away you just have to survive and then to get back to that space that's that's a very very steep climb and the yeah we've had a few of the lived experience ambassadors through focus ireland here on some of the other episodes and i was really struck when asking them about what was the best thing about having secure housing now that it really came down to some very simple things some of them spoke about being out and about either in the shops or you know with family and they they get this feeling in their chest I haven't rang to get emergency housing to get you know a bed that night and then they go no it's okay I I have a house now so that trauma still remains that they have to remind themselves that they are okay now and being in the house it's the very simple things of deciding I might have a shower now or I might go and make a sandwich now the things you really take for granted like you say the pictures on the wall it's your solid foundation so how do you support families and individuals through the process of, of, of receiving secure housing? So it actually reminded me of uh, a, a gentleman that I knew years ago. Um, is that an old gentleman who spent a long time on the street sleeping rough. Um, he had given up on the idea of, of, of having a home or having a house a long time ago. Um, he, was actually, he was also terminally ill at the time. And we 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 got a home for him. It took building up a bit of trust again for him to to, to step into that idea, and he, he moved in. Um, it was a big eye opener for me years ago. He didn't unpack his bags for at least ten months. He kept them at the door, and he was in a permanent tenancy. There was no one could come and evict him. It was our property, um, and but it did. It took a full ten months for him to accept the idea that somebody wouldn't come and and, and take it away from him. Um, and the support, I suppose, that we give me most we ideally it starts with understanding what it is and where it is that somebody wants to live, what it is that they need. Um, we have a constant challenge at the minute of uh, a lot of the the roots out of homelessness that policy is kind of pushed for is is into the private rented, and that's that's factoring into a lot of causes of homelessness. So we're trying to get this most secure tenure for somebody. In, in a location that they want. So somewhere where the kids can get to school, um, somewhere with the, with the, whether there's existing jobs or, or existing training that they want to do or get into. But the support really is about listening to them fundamentally about what it is that they need. Is it support for themselves? Is it support for the family as, as a whole? Um, within that then, our teams are generally made up of people that They'll do a mix of providing support directly. Could be support with the budgeting. Could be support with getting access to a GP, those primary care. 
could be advocating to get the kids into school and that's the thing with some when say a family is moving out they've a hundred connections to to make again plus look after their own mental health plus look after the kids mental health they probably in a lot of instances a lot of their belongings are gone they don't they have to build all that up as well so there's all these a million practical things to do um, and we talk a lot about people having complex needs uh, people as you say they're really really simple needs like we all have very simple needs we want a sense of safety a sense of meaning a sense of security um, the ability to just chill out and have a nice evening and sit down and have a cup of tea but it's very very complicated systems that we we exist in it's very complicated to get access to the the gp the school waiting list the the mental health provider to find a counselor to um get an application done for a cv to start to look for work and to do all of those things in a new area and you're still processing what's happened the previous six months or the previous six years or for a lot of people the previous 30 years um so our that's why our support is not we, we, we want our support to not be time limited um, it's very person centred um, I could describe it as oh, you get a case manager and you have a child support worker but what happens with the person you're supporting is, is as unique and holistic to them as, as anyone so it could be daily that you're meeting with somebody it could be once a week it could be monthly um, it could be helping them get into primary care settings it could be supporting them do CVs um, it could be having a family support worker doing a homework club with the kids again it, it's very very fundamentally our ethos is person and uniquely sent tailored support for that person yeah which so i think is really it. incredible because mm. every situation is different as you say neve lamb can i bring you in then to talk a little bit about work with focus ireland's family homeless action team um and i said as i said in the introduction you're focusing a lot on children and adrian touched on it there as a as a parent i know you're a parent also your every instinct is to protect them so this is a very tough time to lose the home to find yourself in this situation so how do you help here you and the team um yeah it is such a tough time for children when they become homeless and when we meet a family we see all the individuals in the family i think in the past we may have worked with the parents many years back before we had so many child support workers and supports within the teams and, and we have a more multidisciplinary approach if you like now so what we do is we we look at all the individuals within the family and we support them with whatever needs they may have so adrian touched very well on all the aspects of the different pieces of work that we do but in terms of the trauma piece you know the, tr the one trauma is is losing the home and it's such a significant trauma of course but i often think all the all the traumas behind that you know there's the losing of the grandparents that might have been around the corner that they don't have access to for babysitting anymore you know grandparents can't come into hubs and babysit to give the parents a break there's no kitchen the families don't have a kitchen of their own in a hub you know the dog the the cat the goldfish whatever it may be the family pet is lost to the children as well because they can't <clears throat> move into homelessness with them as well. So there's layers and layers to the trauma. So what we do is we work with the with the family and support them with one to one interventions. One of our primary objectives, of course, is to find a home for the family. But with supply difficult at the moment, we work with them in in the crisis of, of however 
many things are impacting the family just to support them to get out of homelessness but to really hear what's happening for those children you know the displacement can be huge they could be suddenly finding themselves traveling across the city to get back to school they may have lost friends so it is really that piece that adrian mentioned you know starting all over again sometimes it's hugely traumatic and you may have heard of the psychological phrase adverse childhood experiences aces so aces are these traumas that happen to us early in our life. And if they're dealt with well in a holistic, supportive way, children can move forward and recover from them. But if they're not, children are left in the trauma, you know, and, and they really feel that, that trauma every day and they act out of that place of trauma. They, Their behaviour can change, you know, that their parents may not know how to support them. And of course, we have parents of children in homes who are absolutely wonderful and are brilliant at supporting their children but it's our it's our role to recognize what's going on for the family as a whole and to give them those skills and to provide the supports because the children of today we just don't want to see them in homelessness themselves as adults in 10 15 20 years time so it's to, it we work on the bigger picture but also the minute detail with families to support them as well because I suppose when you look at the, the the macro reasons that we discussed that people may end up in homelessness or it could be one of those other reasons like addiction or not having support in your life there can be a whole host of things and I suppose adults while it'll still make it stressful can get their head around that and understand the steps that led their children don't don't have that it has to come in a very different language to them doesn't it they don't have it but what, the, what our child support workers do and our case managers, because we, we don't have child support workers for all the children. So, you know, what, what all of our staff do is we support the parents, we empower them. Our, our staff are recently trained in, in what's called circle of security, which is a, a wonderful understanding of attachment theory. You know, that in us to, for us to hold a child emotionally, we need to be able to hold ourselves emotionally. You know, so we need to support the parents. We need to know our own bias, our own our own triggers and all of that. So that so that's what we do when we're working with the families. We support them to recognize and to give the children a voice, you know, to say to the children, I see your distress there. What's happening for you at the moment? And they may say, you know, I'm I, I miss my pet. And, and, and we can't say, you know, I, I, I often balk as you know, I work as a psychotherapist as well. When I hear people say, don't cry or, you know, what's wrong with you? It's more what happened to you? Or tell me more about that, you know, tell me a bit about like, you know, what do you miss about your pet? Let's draw a picture of the pet. Let's let's talk, you know, and isn't that so sad? So really acknowledging a child's feelings. And by doing that, we're also role modeling to the parents, you know, that may not have learned those skills themselves. You know, that, that this is this is a good way to process your child's feelings and emotions. Because as I said, we don't want to see those children in homelessness. We, we, when we finish with a family, we hope not to see them for all the right reasons, you know. And is that how you work on making sure that this is not long lasting damage? I mean, you said if it's dealt with correctly, people could go on to say that was a chapter in my life and I, and I learned a lot and, and I've moved on. Is that the essence of the work you're doing also? Exactly. Like, I, I don't want to sensationalize it, but we have had some extreme examples of, you know, children really, really struggling in, in homelessness. And we work with those children and support them. And sometimes it's been a, a referral to get psychological assessments or supports for them. But yeah, so our, our, our role is to assess the children's needs by talking with them and asking them what's happening for them and getting a sense from school teachers and parents and everyone involved in the child's life, what needs to be done to support the child. And then when the family move into their home, 
thankfully, along the spectrum, if you like, of homelessness, you know, we, we have supports for child support workers to work with children in the home as well. Um, and then we finish up and we our, our goal is to provide the links in the community for children and families so that they have all the supports that they need. Yeah, because that is what's so important, Adrian, you were talking about it as well. Once you get a home, you need to get roots and get into that community because that's what really makes it a home. It's the people outside the bricks and mortar also that really make it your home and your your community and your neighbourhood. John, can I bring you in? There's a real contrast in Ireland between those who own their home and are secure. And then there's a lot of discussion around people who are renting or feel that they'll never have their own home. And this is getting exacerbated now as the rents continue to rise, as does the cost of living. So we know the homeless crisis is getting worse as a result. So who are the families becoming homeless in rising numbers and and how does it happen? Well, I think um, if you you were to ask me, if you had asked me 10 years ago, even five years ago to describe what's happening in homelessness and how people come to us, I'd probably paint a picture of the more traditional image of somebody sleeping on the street, somebody maybe begging for money at an ATM and there'd be people who have ended up in that situation potentially through addiction poor mental health lack of support along the way and those people are still there and they still need uh, need our help and we're there to help them but what changed dramatically in recent years was we started to see people who didn't become homeless because of those personal issues and never would have seen themselves as becoming homeless or even at risk of it. And there may have even been people who had been in and out of private rented and if a landlord sold, they got another private rented place or um, they went home and stayed with family for a while and then got a private rented place, as all of us have kind of done over the years. But what started to happen then was they might go home and they're looking for private rented, they're looking for a house and they're queuing up with maybe 15 other families or 20 other families and even when they get in the price is too much or they're not wanted or they just don't make the cut and bit by bit the options start to uh, shrink and um, I've talked to families about this and they've told me about this escalating sense of dread that, that they see this coming they're hoping it's not going to happen, but eventually just run out of options. And more and more families are getting caught up in that where their landlords are selling the property or the rent is too high. And landlord is generally getting out of the market. Um, and we don't get into too much of the macro stuff, but it, in short, it's just there's not enough places for people. So suddenly they start getting dragged into this world that they just never would have even contemplated. And it's a really scary thing. Um, I remember mom talking about the the first three or four nights when she was in a hotel room and they had a kettle and a toaster and pretty basic stuff but what she remembered most was the kids just couldn't sleep because of the different sounds so there were other people in there and it isn't happy sounds like in a, a hotel when you're on holidays it's just different sounds uh, a lot of people who are stressed a lot of people in the same situation um, and a lot of people with frustration and upset and distress that they've nowhere to go with and to put it in, in context um, and I, I don't like talking about numbers too much because each of those numbers represents a person and sometimes people lose sight of that where it becomes a mathematical 
um, discussion, but it's actually a people discussion. And uh, I try and bring some of this back to my own sort of life experiences and what it means to me. But before uh, the pandemic, when numbers were escalating hugely, um, there were about 120 families per month becoming homeless. And in my world, our, uh, my kids go to a small primary school in Johnstown Bridge in Kildare, and there's 123 children in that school. So really what was happening there was the equivalent of that full school, all of the children, all the brothers and sisters, and all of the families becoming homeless in one month and been dispersed then throughout the city. And what I associate with, with that is a sense of loss. And obviously... It goes without saying losing the roof over your head is it's unimaginable unimaginable but what goes with that is the connections so i was feeling sorry for myself this morning i was bringing my eldest to football training at seven it was before school this morning and um and on the way back i was just thinking as i was sort of waking up um these are the things these are building blocks so he's there with his mates he was figuring out what he was going to do where they're going to get breakfast after training before they went into class and all this kind of stuff and the same the other me their kids are going to be getting up to other stuff tonight there's another 13 match tonight my daughter will be playing and all of these things are the building blocks of what gives them that feeling of uh their place in the world and suddenly that's taken away from you so it's taken away from the parents but it's also taken away from the kids and uh it's very hard for them to, to understand what's going on. Not only that, they're very often embarrassed or ashamed to talk about it because last week they were talking about what time is the match on, where are we meeting for training, what are we doing at the weekend? Suddenly they don't want to talk to somebody anymore about what's just happened and where they are. Where were we last week? They don't. I, I, I remember a teenager, she was uh, telling us this one day, she was talking to her guidance counsellor in school who had noticed that she was really struggling and not not herself, you know, and uh, a couple of weeks of chats with her and the child said, I'm homeless. And it's the first time she had used that word about herself. And she just broke down where she'd been holding that back from everybody, her friends, her, her family, her teachers, um, and teachers who are often brilliant in, in working with us on, on these issues because they see they have such time to to engage with the kids um she got that out of her but the sense of of dread she had for holding that in the sense of shame which she shouldn't feel ashamed it wasn't her fault um and that's just one little example of of how it it affects her whole sense of self-worth so one of the things we try to do and it was really nice to hear one time where a chap that i'd known for a few years um and we'd help them get a place and when we were we were designing some services and what I often do is I talk to some of the people who use their services and say what would you do how would you set this up what would work for you if if you were to need this service and he said well I remember coming in to the coffee shop in Temple Bar and he said I come in for a meal but I went out with a sense of hope and he said that's where it started and that's not an airy fairy notion people need they, they need to trust that there's something there's help there for them so we start with that basic sense of we can help you but what we put behind that and you know we can describe the services in detail but the sort of three things i was doing a, a staff and volunteer induction recently and i said the kind of three things that we look for is first of all that our staff and volunteers care deeply about the people that we're representing it has to be coming from that place but second of all 
that they're really good and competent at what they do because when people come into us they're expecting us to help them and i don't mean just help them and tell them they're going to be okay that we actually do make it okay and that we find them home um and the third thing is that they are relentless in fighting the good fight and going beyond the call of duty for these people who need help at the most most critical time in um in, in their lives then we put the services together to make sure we have the right service for them as adrian mentioned we try and tailor make them so when we recently put together a new service our, our family center up on mount joy street when i started uh, with some of our staff looking at that how what do we need how, how could we do it and we had our ideas we actually went out to the people the families that were using our service at the time we sat down with about 20 families and said what exactly can we do for you now it's obviously they needed a home but while they were going through that we say what are the things that can help you along the way and the kind of things they talked about were we need somewhere safe to be so we said well we'll find a place and we'll, we'll make sure we find a decent place we need um support for our kids so we put together um a service that can help them with their homework we have child support workers that will help with that really kind of uh urgent emergency sort of support that, that children need when they're going through that trauma basics we need somewhere to wash our clothes we have a laundry in it and we need decent food we need to be able to make sure our kids get a decent meal and uh, we set about doing that and when we opened that, that that service we had no funding at all from from the state but we just felt this problem is so serious we need to go out and make this happen because that's what the families asked for and that's what they need and that's where our, our loyalty lies and we we through fundraising and through some um corporate donors we got that center up and running and interestingly then in the year following that the government has come along now and they have given us some funding to keep it up and running and to expand it what's kind of what i think is important to say in that is the the seed of that came from the people who needed it and from the people who use our service and we didn't wait or rely on the government or anyone else to get that up and running. We saw the need and we went for it. And there's often this tension between ourselves and the government. We have to call them out on things that aren't working. We have to call them out for the sake of the people that we represent. But then we want to work with them because we have the expertise from the knowledge of the families and the people that the, the children that we work with, that they know what they, they, know what they need. Um, and on their behalf then we fight to put those services in place but it starts with a sense of hope and it finishes with a home and that's our our main aim is that anybody who comes into Focus Ireland at the end of that journey they will have a home because I suppose when you look at the long-term changes that need to take place that's going to take time the provision of of, of housing and, and looking at that whole area but you're looking at the immediate now what's needed right now and when we look at emergency housing or hotels that's not an appropriate place that's a stopgap but it's not an appropriate place for a family to be there's no one there making sure that who you're living beside is a good person for your children to to be around so i think the the sense that you are giving in the family center is so important that it's somewhere for children to be children as Neve said for families to come and have somewhere safe to be somewhere safe to be but also knowing that because they came to us at some point in the near future they're not going to be homeless anymore 
and we talked about that sense of dread that people have and that their resilience is at an all-time low by the time they end up in this situation so they have to have a sense of confidence from us that we will actually help them solve that problem and that's not in a sort of a aren't we great uh it's it's as Neve said we empower people and we work with them to find that solution but we will make sure that they will find that solution on on the on the bigger picture um people often ask me well what, what's the what's the solution to this there's, there's lots of different supports that people need but i think finally most people um are starting to grasp that it's actually more houses and quicker yeah we need more houses and we need them quicker and we're starting to see that ramp up now, thankfully. Um, but along the way, people need a lot of help when they're going through that journey and we're there to help them uh, to make it to the other end. Yeah, and if people even take themselves out of the empathy side of, of things, which I, I find it hard to do, but I suppose it's part of the conversation that we don't just need to pity these people, that if you support oh. people and it can happen to anyone, then we all become fully functioning members of society and everyone benefits. Adrian, I want to bring you in there a little. Um, Focus Ireland also work with people to make sure they don't even get into this cycle, either protecting their, their tenancy so they can keep the home that they have. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, and that's, <clears throat> sorry, that's, that's fundamental and, and, and key to what we do. And it's it's key to what John and the service, the, the family centre that John is describing and, and needs. The, these are services we've had to develop in recent years um, because those macro things and policy and housing delivery has been challenging and, and changed. And we've had this new influx of people coming in. So, um, you're right as you're saying and John was saying about increasing the housing supply we need to do that now and do it quick but it takes time there's still these other measures we have to do we can't wait so we have to we have to address those blockages and gaps for people that are currently homeless but we need to keep doing more and more prevention um, so we do it in a number of different ways we, we would have services that again people can engage with that provide advice and information to provide advocacy to to people that are in private rent and tenancies and they're dotted around the country and again that might be helping someone who has uh, maybe there's some inside the household issues going on maybe they're struggling they've lost their job they've had some um, health emergencies we've seen that a little over the last few years with hospitalizations and job layoffs and need some support building up that social capital around them again, building up those connections um, and themselves to be able to sustain the home that they're in. Um, there's also, we would have services that have to step in and provide a lot of advocacy and representation where there is a threat to the tenancy itself, particularly in private rented. Um, at times illegal evictions and a big rise in, in years of houses being sold and to go back in the market, with sitting tenants. Um, and again, working very closely, we would have key information services and advocacy services, and then we would also have visiting support services. Uh, we call them tenancy support. So essentially one person making a link with someone that's in their home. And it's the same model of support we do in our own housing. We just bring it to the person before they've lost it. Um, but, and then the other side, a big factor of what we do on the prevention side is our advocacy department. Um, and that is around policy. And, and as John said, 
we don't want to talk about kind of numbers all the time and the macro things but but the reality is um there are those macro factors that you can make changes to that actually have a huge impact on the number of people becoming homeless or at risk of becoming homeless we've seen personally my own perception we've seen a, a a big example of that in the last few years where there were areas that we would have talked politically that you can't go near you can't go near the idea of um eviction bans or rent freezes because there um, there's there's legalities to be able to do that during the pandemic then we were able to do that and the decision was made and we've seen a dramatic drop in the number of people becoming homeless at that time and since last summer they're starting to go up again now the numbers of people presenting again particularly from the private rented market so um we need to do both and um, we have our prevention services that can maybe support somebody for those um sort of individual emergencies or crisis that can happen um, and then we have our advocacy um, and policy teams trying to push to make those bigger changes that would solve uh, it's that it would prevent these issues ever becoming something like that and for the services that we run and the supports that we do for for say the children in the family center and to create that space fundamentally the best thing that we could do as a country is make sure that that doesn't happen in the first place at all yeah and again take yourself out of the empathy space and that makes more financial sense if you don't have to use that money it could be used and better spent and keep Absolutely. people in their in their homes and reduce that trauma mm. you worked for many years in on housing first mm. um could you tell us a little bit about how that works so housing first is we have a housing first strategy, a governmental strategy to bring housing first, um, the model of housing first to the country. Uh, housing first is a, a model of support. It, it comes from the States originally um, and then moved throughout Europe. And it's 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 two things. In, in Ireland, it is generally thought of as a, a type of service, but in reality, it's, it's an ethos. It's a way of approaching things. And it is essentially recognizing that if you want to solve homelessness somebody needs to have a home and if you want to solve the multitude of challenges that somebody might be facing be it addiction or mental health or 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 education or employment you have you can't see ask somebody to address all those things before they get access to housing and historically the route to long-term housing was you'd have to go through a series of checks and balances you would have to address your mental health address your physical health address your if there's addiction issues you'd have to go through emergency and temporary accommodation and almost prove your ability to be a a, a good tenant in inverted commas um, and then get your long-term housing and that system wasn't necessarily by design it's just a series of reactions um, to the emergency of homelessness over decades housing first is essentially just the opposite end that to be to feel safe enough to address any issues that might be going on you need a home so you get a home and that it is a fundamental right um which is why it's welcome we, we very much going to welcome the, the the discussion around a, a, a the commission on the right to housing but um it's providing a choice to go into housing of your complete security a tenure and then bringing in whatever level of support is needed for whatever amount of time and 
again, it, different to other mainstream ways of supporting. It's multidisciplinary. Um, so the teams should be made up of um, social care supports, child supports, uh, addiction support, mental health, nurses, um, occupational therapists. In Ireland, the traditional model is generally that Housing First is is primarily for uh, single adults who have been street homeless for a long time. In Focus Ireland, we view it's, it's a model that works. It, it secures housing first and it provides whatever level of support somebody needs to to sustainably stay out of it. So we should be we, we aim to operate that ethos for everybody. That it's not just housing first for older adults, it's housing first for all. Um, and we'll be doing a lot of work at the minute again to to to, to build that out, particularly for families, because it is the same level of complexity and you shouldn't um, you don't need to be homeless for a certain period of time before you need those supports. John, people may be under the impression that homelessness only happens in the big urban centres like maybe Dublin. But I know Focus Ireland is working across the country that this is an issue outside of that. Yeah, and some of the issues are, are similar and in, in some cases worse where there's less supply. So one of the uh, regions that I also uh, manage is in Sligo and we, we just simply, we, we don't have enough availability of accommodation. And, you know, we've been working closely with the council to try and even get land to build on just to bring extra supply along because inevitably what happens is um, they run out of emergency accommodation there's no availability of long-term accommodation so people get trapped and what happens then is you're catapulted into the what supports can you provide when the worst has happened as opposed to what help can we give as adrian talked about to keep somebody in their home but if somebody's home is sold it's very difficult now to to, to find another um so we've we've a mixture of services for example in sligo we've tried to do a bit of all of it so we have some emergency accommodation but we also um, established a partnership with Sligo County Council where they've leased units to us for people coming out of the emergency accommodation so it's a it's a, it's a good roadmap for how it can be done unfortunately just not enough of that um, but the same issues uh, present for us in for example Limerick where we manage some emergency accommodation but in fairness at the same time we also work closely, closely with the council to get long term accommodation but all of these initiatives are always undermined by availability and when we talk about housing first, the critical part of housing first is to have the house first. So when somebody goes in there, then they can work on all those things that we talked about. But unfortunately, people are staying on waiting lists. So even that brilliant initiative gets undermined by the, the lack of availability. And if you think of it, what we're trying to do there is if, if you look at it the other way around, if you say if you picked somebody who has really poor mental health, and has maybe had difficulty accessing services, maybe some addiction issues or serious depression in there. And you say to them, sort all that while you're sleeping on the street or sort all that while you're staying in a hostel. I think none of us could imagine trying to resolve that sort of difficulty while also trying to be homeless. That's what Housing First does. It, it gets somebody a home and gives them that space. But it's not it's not just a Housing First uh, for, for single people or people with addictions access to a house as quickly as possible is what allows all of us and all of the families that, that, that work with us to get things back on track and that, that's what undermines things um, that being said 
we constantly are evolving our services, constantly trying to get more property, uh, need mentioned supported housing. We have a number of units around the country that do exactly that, where we actually have on-site supports. And we're currently working on, on a research project where we're trying to identify uh, the most appropriate and the right level um, and type of support that we be needed for what we call a multidisciplinary team for families. But really what that means is a team made up of all the right people to help families when they're going through this trauma to make sure that when they come out the other side of it, which they will, that this doesn't define them. And uh, Sister Stan, when she um, talks about homelessness, she she often uses this phrase that homelessness is, is a stage, it's not a state. So it's, uh, as you yourself said earlier on, it's just a chapter. We're there to help somebody not be homeless anymore, but we're also there to make sure that when they move on into a new home, that this is something that is behind them. And that we're there to make sure that, that that's the case as well um, and that people go on and have a happy life and realize all that potential that they had whether they're children or adults um, and we're there to give them that hope we're there to give them the practical interventions but most importantly we're there to make sure they don't be homeless anymore what about the work between focus ireland and state bodies how close are those connections and, and how could they be improved um i i think uh, our first obligation and our first loyalty has always been to the people who come to us for help. And whether that's a family or a single guy or a single woman, whoever it might be, um, we have to fight with every fiber of our being to make sure that they get what they need. And sometimes that brings us into conflict with um, state. And that's okay, you know, that's what we're there for. And, but it's, um, it's a bit more nuanced than that that has to turn into a solution for the people we represent. So if I give you an example, a couple of years back, you, you, you would have seen it in the news and in newspapers on a daily basis, um, families were ending up in guard stations because there wasn't enough emergency accommodation or the accommodation wasn't appropriate or um, it was just too difficult to get in there. And we publicly called it out very strongly, highlighted it every day and but at the same time we were talking to the state about things like our family center thing things like building for them um but they changed that practice and families no longer have to go to guard stations one of the reasons they also ended up there is that every day they had to rebook into a hotel they could only be in there at night time and they weren't allowed in the day so you'd see families walking the streets in, in every day so one part of the solution was us providing our family center so they didn't have to do that but then to be fair, they, the, the practice was changed as well, where they had longer access um, to their emergency accommodation. So on one hand, we have to call out the things that we believe are not OK and that are harming families and, and, and single people. And on the other side, we want to play our part in making sure that we're actually using the expertise that we hear from the people we work with uh, to help the government to put solutions in place. Um, but never, never prioritizing that relationship over the needs of our uh, service users. They're the most important people to us. Yeah, and funnel that back then to the to the policymakers. Adrian, can I ask if you're hopeful for the future then? How, taking on this body of work, do you keep that optimism at the centre of it 
and try and drown out all the noise because there's a lot of it at the minute. Housing crisis, rising inflation. And there's always a story. There's always a negative story. That's the the whole nature of, of media and the reporting. That's where we focus. So through all of that, do you remain hopeful that we will have a system that works here in Ireland and be able to end homelessness? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think if I didn't, I would probably have to hand in my notice. I don't think I could cope if I didn't have hope <laughs> for it. And I do. I, I think the will is there to do it. Um, I think the problem, maybe starting at a political level, is it's always competing with other ideas and perceptions and state projects. But I absolutely do. I mean, to go back to a question about the, the housing first piece, we see it working. We've seen other countries achieve um, getting close to achieving ending homelessness. Um, so we know it can be done, but we fundamentally, I fundamentally believe we can do it. I fundamentally believe that you, even within the country, we see just because you do struggle with say, mental health or addiction, you do struggle with job losses. That doesn't have to lead to homelessness because we're only talking about this this one thing of homelessness so getting rid of that we're not talking about there's loads of work as a society we have to do to become more equitable and to lift everybody up um but a cornerstone of doing that at the minute would be just just stop people coming homeless so they can we can come together on that i what sustains me in it is i see examples of it um people I work with, both both the families and, and the men and women that I work with, see them, their resilience and their courage um, to change it. Um, I want to see it in my country for, for myself, for my daughter, um, the people that I work with, like John and Neve, um, is always inspiring as well. There are, there's, it's challenging. Um, like I said, there's 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 not there's a lot of negative messages all the time. There's a lot of and um, we're on our I don't know how many housing plans we're on now and saying the same thing, but um, there's incremental changes as well. And um, I think there's I don't know, I, th I think there's the it's the understanding of, of what homelessness is has I don't know if it's the right word has matured as well at a societal level. I think there's a growing lack of acceptance about the normalcy of it because people are seeing the bigger picture of it and that it is more nuanced. It's not, um, it's not such a simple factor anymore. And, and even in relation to the, the relationship with state bodies, um, those services such as Housing First, they are state funded and supported. Um, so everyone is working together to resolve it. It's just there is more to do. Um, it has to be more ambitious. Um, we have a, for the first time, I think since 2008, we have a, a commitment in the strategy to end homelessness. That's a big, big, that's a big move um, to come out and say that. That's 14 years since, since we had a policy actually felt that we should commit to end homelessness. So I think that's enormously positive. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I'm so hopeful, <laughs> very much so. Um, and I think it's important that we remain hopeful. Um, 
and that we show the chinks of light that are there. I was only at a meeting this morning and, it, you know, it's a different topic, but it was about journalists and the media's coverage of climate change, another one of society's big issues, and that we have an impetus to just make it sound like there's nothing can be done here and that paralyzes people to inaction. Whereas if people feel that there is something happening, there can be something done, it's sort of a, a better momentum. Neve, what about you then in your work? How do you remain hopeful, particularly for the families, as you said, that as they perhaps leave your your your, your system and begin to settle, that they they will be okay. I think we just have to, as as Adrian has said, we just have to remain hopeful and in, at Focus Ireland, we have a very can-do approach to how we work. You know, we see every family as unique in themselves and I'm always conscious of the wording sometimes that's out there, you know. So housing crisis seems to be a word that we've just got used to saying over the years. And it is what it is. It's a crisis. And behind that crisis are lots of people in crisis, in trauma. You know, so it's about us holding that curiosity of I wonder what that family was like when they had a home I wonder what their needs were I wonder what it'll be like for them when they have their forever home again you know asking that miracle question to families you know if everything was perfect what would that look like for you none of the families have ever said to me I'll be a millionaire and I'll be off on a yacht somewhere you know they're they're very basic needs that they want they want to have a home their dog back again to walk around the corner to school again or whatever it is so I think it's not a lot. It is a basic need that families are looking for is looking for a home and where there's a will, there's a way. Well, keep up the optimism and keep doing everything you're doing. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Adrian Quinn, Head of Long Term Accommodation at Focus Ireland. Neve Lamb, Manager of Family Homeless Action Team at Focus Ireland. And John O'Hare, Head of Family Services at Focus Ireland. Thank you very, very much. Coming up in the next episode of the Focus Ireland podcast, we'll be asking, what should the government be doing to tackle homelessness? We need to shift from an attitude which people are sitting with empty sites or empty property, and we, I'm afraid, we're going to have to start punishing people for holding properties, holding development land and not developing it. We are in a famine situation in relation to housing, hoarding food during a famine, every everybody knows is wrong. If people are sitting on land with planning permission, if they're sitting on land which could be very quickly turned into housing, it's the same as hoarding food during a famine and we need to penalise that. Please remember to like, subscribe and share. If you'd like more information on the work of Focus Ireland, visit focusireland.ie.